Beyond Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Thursday, May 10th. And now we're going to be talking today about who's going to be running the show for the Detroit Pistons from the corner offices coming up soon but this is your boy Matt Shook the host of Lockdown Pistons an AP writer out in Chicago covering the NBA Pistons fan and follower my whole life and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade across the country as well today talking playoffs we now have a final four in the NBA but we also don't have basketball for a few days here weird times ahead for the next three days we got to figure out other things to do with our life in the next couple days and I wanted to reflect a little bit more on the Stan Van Gundy, uh, president of basketball operations era, that side of his persona for the Detroit Pistons, the failures of the last four years, and why it was maybe doomed from the start as well. We're also going to be discussing some front office candidates for the new regime, and the one that happened to be getting the most buzz around the league and with Pistons fans right now, perhaps because of his old affiliation with one LeBron James in today's Pistons playoff playback. We're going to be looking back to 1985, the last time a playoff game was played in downtown Detroit with a Pistons team that would start a new rivalry against a generational team in the Eastern Conference. But speaking of that team, as I destroy my tees right now, the Boston Celtics topped the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday night, 114-112 to in Game 5 in Boston, winning the series 4-1 to and, end and punching their ticket towards the Eastern Conference Finals. Rookie Jason Tatum, who I saw in high school in St. Louis way back when, I guess not way back when, about three, four years ago, with the go-ahead basket with 23 seconds left as the rookies and young players have taken center stage in this postseason, joining Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell, Terry Rozier, Anthony Davis. I guess he's still kind of a young player in that uh, regard. All young guys making their marks in this postseason so far. But that being said, after all that, we get the teams that we kind of sort of figured that we'd get back in October, uh, kind of running the show as uh, June approaches, the end of May approaches, and things get really serious in terms of going for that Larry O'Brien trophy. Uh, Golden State and Houston will start in the Western Conference Finals on Monday night in Houston, and the East Finals between the uh, Cavaliers and Boston Celtics will start on Sunday afternoon, a 3.30 start out in Boston for that one. Looking at our friends at mybookie.ag, Cleveland one and a half point favorites on the road in game one. And Houston's Houston is one point favorites at home in game one. As far as winning the series, Cavaliers in six is kind of the odds on play on mybookie.ag at plus two hundred. So a two to one chance that the Cavaliers will win in six. And looking at the championship odds overall, Golden State's still the favorite to win it all, uh, minus 190. The Rockets at plus 150, a a big favorite over the Cavaliers at plus 450. So Rockets plus 150, Cavs plus 450 at 4.5 to 1. So obviously Vegas is showing there that whoever wins this Western Conference Finals is going to win the NBA championship in their minds, rightfully so. But if it were me... I'm picking between the Cavaliers and the Rockets if they were able to get to the Western Conference Finals. I'd have to, I'd have to really think twice about that one, but I don't think that's going to be something we have to consider as it goes on. The Celtics, obviously the long shots at 13-1 to 1, plus 1,300. And I guess I'll unleash my predictions now. My tail is still between my legs a little bit from the Raptors and 5 call, but I'll really be 
Super exciting here. Make this amazing predictions and say that the, the Warriors and the Cavs will meet in the finals for the fourth straight season. And uh, how do you guys feel about that? Let me know. It's time to get your predictions out before Sunday afternoon's games. Uh, reach out to me on social media and we'll pass those along if you're able to, to nail it in terms of the series winners and who wins and how many games. Uh, there's part of me that's, that's kind of over it as far as the Cavaliers and Warriors, but it's the logical conclusion of the season, and it's where we're at right now still in the NBA, although those young players have ascended a little bit. I mean, these are the two teams. These are still the best player versus the best team, and I think it's what we're going to see once again. Maybe next year we'll have uh, graduated to something else, maybe free agency or the trade market. This summer could be a strange one with names like LeBron, obviously, and then Kawhi Leonard out there and you always got the the Anthony Davis rumors where's Paul George gonna end up all that kind of stuff maybe some power balances could shift going forward but all that said certainly a chance this year that Houston could pull the mild upset of Golden City and LeBron's team can still have stretches of being very bad so who knows maybe the Celtics and and Brad Stevens could cook up a formula that takes them to the finals but I'll go Warriors in five over the Rockets and Cavaliers in six over the uh, Celtics I'm boring like that. Um, other action this weekend on Saturday will be the first regular season game for the Pistons GT gaming team that's playing in the NBA 2K League. They will be playing the Heat Check Gaming, obviously affiliated with the Miami organization. That's gonna, that game is going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can watch that on Twitch as Let's Get It Ramo and, of course, Locked On Pistons' favorite Insanity will be back out in New York City with the boys going up against that Miami team. Interested to see how the boys follow up from the semifinal appearance in the opening weekend tournament last week. And then I'll pass along also the NBA Draft Lottery is coming up. It's Tuesday night. It's here in Chicago at the Hilton in downtown. I am not going. I got other responsibilities, but I will be at the Combine on Thursday and Friday. Hope to have some good stuff for you guys from there. And for the lottery, Pistons, 4.5% chance of getting into the top three and a 0.7% chance of getting the top pick in next month's draft. I did a quick simulation on tankathon.com just now. Bad news to pass along. The Pistons didn't get in the lottery but if you'll believe uh, Conrad Burry on Twitter, he said that uh, he did it and he got the Pistons getting the first pick on the first try and uh, simulated to pick Luka Doncic there. So he, Conrad's a graphic designer who made some really cool uniform designs for the Pistons that he passed along to us that you should definitely check out on Twitter. His uh, uh, username Conrad Burry, B-U-R-R-Y. So give him a follow and check that out. As well, But we're going to be talking about some of the candidates for the Pistons front office, including the main one that's getting a lot of buzz these last few days out there. But if your company wants to reach men between the ages of 18 and 44, you should be sponsoring Locked on Pistons. We are listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So what's up, fellas, first of all? But if that demo sounds good to you, this is your spot. Plus, we've got reasonable rates. So email me at matt underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com to find out more. Yes, sir! A little bit later, we're going to go into another segment of Pistons playoff playback. Since we can't live in the present with the Detroit Pistons in the playoffs, we will relive the past. But for our front office candidate search, 
We're going to start with Chauncey Billups. Out of respect for Mr. Big Shot, one of the great Pistons of all time, the report from January from Mark Stein of the New York Times said that Tom Gores was interested in retooling the front office this offseason with Arn Tellum kind of running the show and Chauncey Billups involved in the front office structure as well. That report has been... I guess in some ways debunked by a lot of the media that covers the Detroit Pistons, you know, the Rod Beards, Vince Ellis, James Edwards of the worlds. Um, and that, but obviously keep in mind that that was while Stan Van Gundy was still around and to his credit or to his part, Chauncey Billups, when that came out was on his ESPN show talking about how it's disrespectful to talk about a job while another man is, is still employed in it and all that. And uh, saying that he was disappointed that that report got out. That being said, we know that there had to be some kind of smoke there with the fire of of Mark Stein. He's a well-connected reporter that wouldn't come up with things out of thin air. So obviously there was some solid source that was floating that out there in the media for whatever reason, whether it was representatives from Billups' side, Arn Tellum's side, Tom Gore's sides, you know, we'll never know where that came from. But one of the best, like I said, one of the most beloved Pistons of all time, one of the best Pistons of all time, and someone who has intimated that he wants to run a team sometime. So, I'd say as far as if I had to say an odds-on favorite for who's going to be a name involved with the Pistons front office, I would say it would be Chauncey Billups. And I'm one of those people who, ever since this story broke back in January, I have said that it is a strong possibility that Chauncey's involved in this franchise starting this offseason. So that that being said, do I think it's a better than 50% chance that he's in one of those seats this year? No, but I, as far as being the singular favorite for being involved with the Pistons, I would say it's him. And maybe he could be a general manager right away, even though he doesn't have front office experience or anything like that. He's been involved with the media these last couple of years. But if you bring in a president of basketball operations that has a experience as a general manager, experience making the day-to-day moves, and Arn Tellum is not that guy, by the way. He's a former agent, a super agent at that, and has made deals on the player's side. But if you bring in a president of basketball operations who has general manager experience, trades experience, draft scouting experience, all that stuff, then I would be comfortable with a first-time GM like Chauncey Billups kind of learning on the job a little bit as long as he's under someone who has had that day-to-day experience. Now, someone who has had that day-to-day experience and is obviously a big name out there uh, in NBA circles right now is David Griffin, the former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, a guy getting a lot of mileage out there, and Pistons owner Tom Gores is reportedly among the folks looking for uh, help in terms of David Griffin being rumored to be involved with that job. Uh, Griffin started off with the Phoenix Suns and was there for three years starting in 2007. Now that team at that point was already on the downslide. That was the last season of Mike D'Antoni. His first season there was the year that they made the Sean Marion for Shaquille O'Neal trades, which was basically a bust and pretty much ran uh, you know, in conflict to what the Phoenix Suns had been building those entire years. Now they were at the last grasp of that era, so you know, changes need to be made, and sometimes they don't look good in retrospect, and maybe it wasn't as bad of a deal as it looks now back then, but my point is now, let's not let David Griffin's time in Phoenix and his the fact that he was there and Steve Nash was still there at that time, let's not tie him into all the good times that were involved in the Steve Nash era and the seven seconds or less, you know, born and, and all that kind of stuff. We remember those times and those teams and that innovation fondly but with Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, but Griffin was on the back part of that, the ugly part of that. So let's not you know, paying him with all these rose-colored glasses as far as what he was able to build with the Phoenix Suns organization. Now, 
in Cleveland. He moved there in 2010 as kind of an underling under uh, uh, Chris Grant, who was running the team as general manager, or as president of the basketball operations back then. But he was eventually elevated in 2014, and of course the Cavs won the title, breaking the long Cleveland sports title drought in 2016. And that was the... He was there up until his bizarre firing last summer by Dan Gilbert a few weeks before the uh, Kyrie Irving trade talks picked up and right before the NBA draft last year as well. And obviously winning the title in 2016 brings David Griffin a lot of juice. and He's the guy who's well-respected around the league. And I'm seeing a, a lot of Pistons fans on social media, and he's kind of the guy that you guys want with this team right now. And I can't argue with that. Um, he's a guy who... Uh, has a track record and has a championship. So the big moves were bringing LeBron back to Cleveland, but obviously we can't really give him too much, if any, credit for that. That was a, above his pay grade, basically LeBron deciding to come home and, and uh, doing that, and any team would have taken him. But the surrounding moves were the Kevin Love trade after that. In retrospect, I mean, they won a title, but does Kevin Love really seem like a great fit for LeBron? There are times that he looks like a very ordinary player, despite his pedigree and despite his background as an all-star. It's almost like in just an elite shooter without wasting a lot of the post talents that Kevin Love and rebounding talents that you have might have served them well or even even better over the years. Draft picks, uh, Anthony Bennett was the number one pick of the draft in 2013. Not a great draft, but a, a, some pretty good names under him. Victor Oladipo, number two. Otto Porter, number three. Again, not a, not a very good draft in the grand scheme of things, especially at the top. Now Griffin wasn't the wasn't running the show in the front office. That was Chris Grant still back then. But uh, you know, obviously, a guy who was out of the league in a couple of years, a, a flop if there ever was one in the NBA draft. Griffin took over right before the trade for Kevin Love, and that was one where they gave up Anthony Bennett, the first pick from one year before. Still quite a bit of value in Bennett, despite a, a disappointing rookie season. And he also traded the pick that ended up being Andrew Wiggins in 2014. Actually, the trade was after the trade was after the draft, so the, uh, Wiggins was already selected by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now for Love, two picks of, a, of the of the first round, two first picks of the draft. One bad draft and one bad pick, and then one decent draft and one decent pick for Love. Not, not a great trade in retrospect, but again, you can't argue with those titles. Um, like I mentioned, David Griffin, he was on the Bill Simmons podcast on Wednesday on The Ringer. Definitely a listen, uh, something that should be worth a listen for Pistons fans. He's, he's in the media. He's involved on TV. He's doing Turner uh, coverage during the NBA Finals as well. He, he didn't sound like a very sophisticated basketball guy in the interview, but that's, that's not a negative thing when you're doing an interview for a guy who's focused more on the pop culture side of basketball and, and pop culture too. But, and maybe that's a skill where you can come off in different settings sounding like you you know you relate to whatever environment your interview is in but he wasn't didn't come off as that buttoned up corporate type like we might expect a former GM who's in the market to maybe getting more of these jobs in the future so I don't have a problem with that but in fact it's a good thing to like the people you're rooting for he came off as a very likable guy but uh, like I said it wasn't like you listened to him and said oh this is why this guy is really effective and really sought after as a name in NBA front office circles. Other names out there include Mike Zarin of Boston, one of the lieutenants under Danny Ainge, big into advanced stats, a salary cap expert, Harvard-educated, University of Chicago-educated as well, a lawyer who, uh, you know, obviously the trades and the way that Danny Ainge transitioned from the Kevin Garnett era to a little bit of a, a downslide but not much, and now in short, short order they're probably one of the most desired rosters in the NBA going forward over these next five or six years. So you can't argue with the the uh, 
the moves and the and the, the situation that Boston finds themselves in. And talking about sophisticated front offices and ownership and and the things that they've done, it kind of brings up uh, a point I wanted to mention about Stan Van Gundy. And I, I wrote down three things that were reasons why it was a bad run in Stan Van Gundy for the front office and why a coach shouldn't be running the team because it's just it's two jobs. It's totally separate jobs. It should be a 365 year day a year job to run a basketball team, not someone who's should be grinding as a head coach. You talked about we, we've talked about this many times on the podcast before. The Pistons going into this past season were one of the worst three point shooting teams in the NBA. And it seemed like every move that Stan Van Gundy made last offseason was built around getting three point shooters, throwing the exorbitant contract at Langston Galloway, getting Anthony Tolliver back here, drafting Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell. It seemed like the number one reason for bringing all of those guys in was the fact that they had high three point percentages. Now, that's something that. I could go on basketball reference and figure out and look at the available pool of free agents and target certain guys. It's just a very unsophisticated way of building a basketball team. And obviously, if you're looking just at three-point percentage, they moved up, I believe they were fifth in three-point percentage in the NBA, and right around the middle of the pack, 14th or so in terms of uh, amount of three-pointers made in the NBA last season. So, you know, check the box as far as an excess, a success for cleaning up three-point percentage. But now we got a team who's you know, not even average offensively and, and you know, a team that's in the totality of last season was okay and above average defensively but didn't get it done enough in big games. So now you haven't really built a basketball team in a sophisticated and intelligent way. You just went after one skill and one situation, but now you've brought on all these other challenges while leaving a guy like Donovan Mitchell undrafted. Another way that Stan Van Gundy showed that he wasn't sophisticated as a front office person is the summer of 16 when they had that – free agent cap space available to spend on the bench however they wanted. They go after John Luer and Boban Marnjanovic and Ish Smith, and they, they ruined all that cap, and those guys ended up being overpaid. Now, that was a summer that will be remembered for many years in NBA lore because the free agent contracts were so bloated. Now, as Stan Van Gundy, a guy who's not a full-time front office guy, a guy who's not an experienced offensive guy or a front office guy, he blew that money right away. The smart teams didn't do that that summer. There's a reason that the San Antonio Spurs didn't match that offer sheet for Bobar Marjanovic. They thought ahead and said, maybe next summer's the time to get free agents. Maybe if we have cap room this summer, we make trades and kind of use the avenues of cap space available to us in more sophisticated ways and, and better than throwing four years at a guy like John Luer who didn't deserve that kind of money. You see that the teams that blew the cap space that summer a couple of years down the road, they haven't gotten much better. They were just overspending. They're in cap hell in a lot of ways. And Teams like the Pistons are, are among that list of teams that didn't tackle that summer of 16 in a sophisticated way. And I think that's on Stan Van Gundy and a front office that's more of a part-time uh, you know, job for him. And, of course, the Blake Griffin trade. And however you feel about that in terms of Blake Griffin's big contract being involved with the Pistons going forward, it's an unsophisticated move. It's bringing in a star. And maybe that came from ownership. And I'm not saying it's altogether a terrible move, but... I think looking back, even if you like the Blake Griffin trade, you probably would have pulled back maybe an asset 
or made it a little bit more balanced for the Pistons' side in retrospect. If it's obvious that the Clippers wanted to blow it up and they wanted to go in a different direction, you had a little bit more leverage than maybe they did at that time. The move that, that kind of easily balances out a little bit, in my mind, is bringing Avery Bradley out of that deal. Now, he ended up getting injured for the rest of the season, so he didn't help the Clippers, but the expiring $8 million on that contract would have really helped the cap sheet for the Pistons this summer. And it could have been something that would have given them a little bit more flexibility. So I think that that $8 million that, that Avery Bradley could have saved the Pistons and as the time the the trade was made, he could have been someone who could have possibly helped the Pistons the rest of the year and maybe gotten out of the shooting woes that he had had this winter and maybe helped the Pistons possibly make the playoffs this year. Who knows? So, it's just three unsophisticated moves that show that Stan Van Gundy really wasn't quite up to the job while he was as a full-time coach for the Pistons. Other names, Adrian Wojnarowski talked about how Brent Barry might be involved. Golden State tried to hire him last year, but he still had some some TV obligations that didn't work out. Um, again, like Chauncey Billups, maybe under a president in front office, more of a more of a GM candidate. I don't know that that name and for it doesn't do much for me. Sounds like kind of a Steve Kerr copycat, but not as well regarded. All the former white NBA players seem to be getting jobs in the front office, and it seems like kind of a a copycat move like there. And John Barry is on TV as well. His brother, a former Piston, not particularly interesting or or brings much to the table in terms of his analysis. I heard him on the the state the Jamie and Stony radio show the other day on the ticket. Also not particularly well-versed on the Pistons during that interview. Um, and I know Brent Berry, obviously, is, is a whole different person, but the Berries as a group with their father, Rick Berry, as far as I know and can tell, aren't really known for their amazing basketball IQ like someone like Steve Kerr or, or maybe a Shane Battier is. But he's apparently a name that's been coveted by some. So um, some of the other young guys that are out there, you got the, the Trey Watson, who's in the Oklahoma City Thunder organization. And, you know, every – front office that's been successful has like number two guys that are up for some of these jobs. So you'll see those names bandied about as well. But, you know, if it were me and you could get a guy like Mike Budenholzer who has some front office experience himself, you get an experienced president of basketball operations. And if Arn Tellum uses his Rolodex over many years in the NBA and finds a guy who's experienced, who's done it before, that's fine with me. And then you bring Chauncey in as possibly a GM or maybe learns like Joe Dumars did in his first year with the Pistons under Rick Sund, and then maybe assumes the top spot uh, after the veteran guy departs uh, moving forward, that would be fine with me. Um, but front offices, guys, they're such a behind-the-scenes thing. It's hard for us as you know fans and people covering the team, even in a, in a casual type of way, to know exactly what's going on. But Sam Hinkie, just get out of my face with that. We'll leave him. We'll talk about him if we have to down the road and if this drags on in terms of the search. But... And, of course, if he gets hired. But I'm going to say no and leave it at that for now. But we got more on the plate today. Today in Pistons playoff playback, since we can't live in the present, we'll relive the past. But, obviously, big news going on with the Detroit Lions with the Detroit News uh, report last night about Matt Patricia, the new coach of the Lions, with the um, you know indicted for sexual assault back when he was 21. And, and eventually, um, you know, those charges were dropped. A very complicated and uh, disturbing situation if you're a Detroit Lions fan. But uh, check Matt Derry out. He's talking about that on Locked on Lions every day. I'm interested to see his take on that. We got podcasts for every NBA team, every NFL team. And check out our landing page on LockedOnSports.com. All the podcasts of the Locked On Network. Your team every day. It is time now for Pistons playoff playback. We're going back to 1985 today. We talked the other day about 1984 where the Pistons lost to Bernard King and the New York Knicks in the first round in Chuck Daly's first year as coach. 
But then in 1985, the Pistons took it to the next level. Just like then, some of those memorable games were played at Joe Louis Arena in downtown Detroit, as in 1985, late in the season, the roof caved in at the Silverdome, forcing the Pistons back downtown to play at the JLA. Now, they played their last 10 to 12 games of the season there, and their playoff games in terms of uh, the next two rounds, just like they did for one game in 1984, that memorable duel between Isaiah Thomas and Bernard King in Game 5. That was at Joe Louis Arena because of a one-night scheduling conflict in Game 5. But for this one, in the 1985 playoffs, the Pistons featuring Dan Roundfield, a Central Michigan University legend near and dear to my heart as a starter for that team. Uh, they went to the playoffs and got the four seed in the Eastern Conference, taking on the New Jersey Nets in the first rounds. The Pistons got the sweep there, sweeping guys like Buck Williams and Michael Ray Richardson. Chocolate Thunder, Daryl Dawkins. Man, I bet those guys had some fun on the road back then, but the Pistons got the 3-0 sweep. Moving on to the second round, they would then get 63-win Boston in round two, the defending champions at the time. Pistons lost the first two with the Garden and then held serve for two wins at Joe Louis Arena after that before losing game five in Boston, taking us to our Pistons playoff playback today, May 10th, 1985, game six of the second round series. Larry Bird and the boys come to Detroit and close it out 123 to 113 despite 37 points from Zeke, Isaiah Thomas, 21 from Lambeer, 20 from Kelly Tripuka. Robert Parrish led the way for the Celtics with 24 points. Bird was only 7 of 22 from the field for 17 points, but this was in some ways the beginning of a rivalry that we'll have much more on as Pistons playoff playback continues in these next few days. There would be memorable moments, some controversial comments from Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, the biggest play maybe of Larry Bird's career in some ways there, the closeout the Pistons that were surging in a later season, and a big punch thrown by the Boston Celtics his way as well. After the season in 1985, by the way, the Pistons would draft Joe Dumars and start taking the next steps toward becoming the beasts of the Eastern Conference. But that'll do it for Pistons Playoff Playback. Give us a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that, and also the Locked On Pistons Twitter account, too. Still looking for more comments for fans to talk about your reaction to the Stan Van Gundy firing and what you want to see for this team going forward. Also, check out the Facebook page at Lockdown Pistons Dash Matt Shook. Give us a rating and review and subscribe to us on iTunes as well. But uh, no plans for more, more shows for the rest of the week. So we'll be back to you guys on Monday. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and all the support that you give the Lockdown Pistons podcast. And enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you all again very soon.